You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, hi everybody. What a great morning so far. Man, it's so great. And also, for the record, let the record show that, to my knowledge, there was no man who came back from that retreat severely injured (laughs) or severely sunburned. So, women, you're welcome, by the way. So... I pointed that out to Carrie when I got home. I said, let the record show. I came back. Now they're injured nor sunburned. I've been a good husband. So um, she said, thank you. We all know what happens, right? Because <laughs> she ends up having to take care of additional children at that point. So <laughs> let's get into our time in God's Word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today, continuing on in our series. You can follow along on the screen. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. That's the reading of his word, all his people said. Amen. Yeah, we're at the front end of a series called Reversal. We're trying to ask and answer throughout this longer series a few questions, a couple questions in particular. We're trying to ask, why should we trust Jesus? Why should we? And what happens when we do? Why should we trust Jesus and what happens when we do? And we're looking at what is now known as the Gospel of Luke to help us. And the reason I say it's now known as the Gospel of Luke is because when this was written most likely within one lifetime of the life of Jesus. It was not called a gospel. It was not part of the Bible because there was no the Bible for it to be a part of. It was just a really long historical document that Luke, an educated man, wrote after he interviewed the eyewitnesses of the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And to use his words from week one we saw, after he A doctor carefully investigated everything. And because Luke did that, because he carefully investigated and interviewed the eyewitnesses, that at least partially explains why only he, out of the four accounts we have of the life of Jesus, why only Luke includes this story. The only story from the childhood of Jesus Christ, or to use Luke's words, the only story about the boy, Jesus And here's why this passage about the boy Jesus is so important. It isn't just important because it captures a day in the life of the boy Jesus. This passage is important because it lays 
the foundation for something crucial and non-negotiable, but not all that beloved about what it means to trust Jesus. This passage shows us how confusing sometimes it is to really follow Jesus. How upside down it feels sometimes to follow Jesus. Sometimes we're going to see trusting Jesus means he turns things around in your life and you don't know why. You don't know what they mean. You don't know how you should respond to the reversal. And the reason I can say this with confidence is because this passage, we're going to look at it, isn't like other passages where Jesus says or does something super mysterious, super cryptic, and people, people like are left scratching their heads at first, but then he clarifies what he means at the end and everyone is happy and goes home applauding. No, here it's the opposite. For the people in this passage, they are left confused as to who he is and what he is doing. What's he doing here? Simply put, he is confusing the ones that he loves. Confusing the ones that he loves. Let's take a look at, at that. I hope I got your attention here. You're like, I don't know if I agree with you. Okay, we'll see if I can get you there by the end. Number one, we're going to see why Jesus is, at least sometimes, confusing. Number two, three possibilities of handling the confusion. And finally, I hope to show you why and how we can trust him in the confusion. Ready? Here we go. Number one, let's take a look and see why Jesus is at least sometimes confusing. Let's look at the heart of the passage, verse 46. After three days, they, that's his parents, found him back in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening, asking questions. Everyone who heard him, look at these words, was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. So Luke tells us, we read earlier, that this story takes place during which year of Jesus' life? Come on. The 12th, that's right. Why is that important? Hmm. Well, the 12th year in the life of a boy in Jewish culture was a crucial year. It was the year leading up to his 13th birthday when he would be recognized as a man. Therefore, during a boy's 12th year, his father would begin to apprentice him in the family occupation, in the family business. And not only that, the family's annual visit to the temple in Jerusalem would take on additional meaning. Every year during the Passover, that's when this passage takes place, Jerusalem, the city would swell to like nine or ten times its normal size. And it was the responsibility of the fathers to teach their 12-year-old sons the history and the meaning of their faith. They would walk around the temple together. The father would point out the sacrificial system, point out the altar, explain the Passover once more. The 12th year was a time of intense mentoring, both professionally and spiritually. Oh, but this year, Jesus's 12th year, something different happened. He didn't go back with his family as would have been expected. He got, instead, to use a Really bad Nicolas Cage movie metaphor. He got left behind. Okay. Now, please don't throw shade at Joe and Mary here, all right? It wasn't like they lost track of time of him at the mall. <laughs> while they're busy checking their notifications or getting on the gram or while sipping soy lattes comfortably in Starbucks. No, no, no. Their culture was much more collectivist, communal, and their large extended family, close friends who made that journey with them would have been accustomed to looking out for one another, uh, raising one another's children to an extent. And so they left not knowing they didn't have him until sometime probably late on that first day. Well, what do you do then when you discover that? 
like some of you and your 14 kids in your minivan know, and I know that because I saw you in a parking lot this morning, it takes a while to turn the minivan around. And so on the second day, they traveled back, likely, and here on the third day, they finally found him, and when Mother Mary found him, what did she say? Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. In other words, Jesus, I don't like how you have treated me. Mm. Having Jesus, having you in our lives, has left us anxious. That doesn't make for a very good worship song. But did you notice what she leads with here? She says, your father and I have been looking, not I have been looking. She says, your father, why? She's saying, Jesus, this was the year out of all years. We have an expectation of you. This was the year out of all years. You are supposed to be showing honor and respect to your father who is preparing you for the family business. This was the year out of all years, Jesus. You should have been honoring your father publicly, but here you've let us down. You've let him down, shamed him publicly. You should have been by your father's side, Jesus. You should have been modeling your life after your father's. This year out of all years, Jesus, how could you dishonor your father? And what did Jesus say? Oh, but I was honoring my father. I've been at home the whole time, mom, just not in your house. I was in my father's house the whole time. I've been at home working in my father's business the whole time. And what does it say about Mary and Joseph? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. I mean, this is like straight up first century Chris Rock, right? They did not understand the words that were coming out of his mouth. <laughs> they were confused. But think about it. In fairness to them, how could they understand? This was the first time, you've got to catch this, that a human being, let alone a human boy, claimed that the God of the universe, Yahweh, to the Jews, was his capital F, Father. Get the picture, Jesus sitting in the Jewish temple saying, I am the son of Yahweh. Ooh, can you see what's happening? His very first recorded words ever are a claim to divinity. First recorded words are a claim to divinity. You ever wondered, when did Jesus know, like, when, when did he know he was the Messiah? How old was he? Hmm? And the answer is, if he didn't know before, he knows by now by age 12. See, his words, his behavior, they shock them, confuse him, and he doesn't try to make it any better. And then he actually makes it worse. He says, why were you searching for me? Now listen, I've got three sons, okay? <laughs> if one of my sons, after making us look for him for three days, he asked me this with a straight face, come on, I know what I'd be like. I'd be like what you'd be like. I'd be like That's it, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. You're, you're a hand cutting the grass with scissors, like for at least you know, a month, you know. Or worse. <laughs> but Jesus did say it with a straight face because this is less of a question. It's way more of a rebuke. He's saying, I wasn't the one who was lost, Mom. I've been at home the whole time. 
Look up some Bible commentators here. They'll tell you Jesus is making one thing clear to Mary, Joseph, and us all. He's saying, my relationship with you is secondary to my relationship with my capital F father. He's saying, I don't exist for you. You exist for me. I'm not under your authority. I'm under God's authority. Why are you put out about being put out about me? Why are you upset at my choice for your life? I'm not on your timetable. I'm not on your schedule. You can't send me a, a Google invite and expect me to reply whenever you want. You're on my timetable. Jesus, can you see, is letting them know. If you want to relate to me, you should know I may do things you don't understand. I may appear to be absent or even lost in your life. I may not be where you think I'm supposed to be. I may not be doing what you think I'm supposed to be doing. I may appear to dishonor you and let you down the exact moment you think you should be honored. I may even rebuke you for looking for me. Can you handle it? Can you deal with it? Mother, oh my God. How do you relate to someone like that? How do you process that kind of information in your relationship? I mean, how do you reconcile that kind of claim? Can you see why people eventually killed him? <laughs> this is offensive. This is disorienting. Here's the word. Confusing. Right. But come on, come on. If he's God, doesn't he have the right to do this? I realize not all of you are there with that. You're there yet with that claim. That's okay. But for the sake of the argument, if he's God, doesn't he at least have the right to do that? I mean, some of you, like I do, you got a pet. Hmm? You love them, and at times they can seem kind of smart when they do their four tricks you train them to do. But come on, you know there's a mental, cognitive gap between you and them at a certain level ooh, they are so far below you cognitively they cannot even know that a gap exists let alone how far that gap exists and if there is a God wouldn't that gap not only just be there but wouldn't the gap between us and him be infinitely greater it would so we might just be confused at times and sometimes it actually might be less about him and more about us. How do we respond to the confusion Jesus sometimes brings? Number two, let's look at three possible ways we can handle it. We can handle it. We'll see these options. Try to lay them out like a roller, like a president. Don't worry, not who you might think or not think. Like roller, like a president. See who that is. And like Mary. Like Roller, like a president, like Mary. Let's see, who was, who was Roller? Uh, he was a character, main character, one of Flannery O'Connor, the great writer, Roman Catholic writer. One of her first stories that she wrote was called The Turkey. The Turkey. And the main character is an 11, almost 12-year-old hmm, boy named Roller, growing up in the rural south in the 1950s. And Roller liked to go around believing, as he called himself, he was an unusual child. But he was special. He daydreamed about being the hero, these delusions of grandeur, uh, hearing the praises from everyone around him. And one day he was out in the woods when he noticed a turkey walking through. And his immediate thought was to catch the turkey, not to help feed his struggling family, but to hear them sing his praises when he got home. Here's what he thought. Quote, he was going to have it. He was going to have it if he had to run it out of the state. 
He saw himself going in the front door with it slung over his shoulder and them all screaming, look at Ruller with that wild turkey. Ruller, where did you get that wild turkey? Oh, he had caught it in the woods. He thought they might like to have him catch one. And he began to chase the turkey through the woods. At first, he was careful not to get too dirty because he didn't want to let them think it it might have been a hard chase. But when he realized he wouldn't be able to catch it otherwise, he throws caution to the wind. He he scrapes his arm real bad. Uh, He tears his shirt on a fence. He goes into the bushes and gets cut up, looking after it, running after it. And just when he think he thought he had it, the turkey dashed into the woods. Ruller runs blindly into a tree and knocks him down. It injures him severely. And he was so confused about the sudden turn of events, he begins to blame God. Here's what he said. He'd never see the turkey now. He wondered why he had seen it in the first place if he wasn't going to be able to get it. It was like somebody had played a dirty trick on him. He got up. God could go around sticking things in your face and make you chase them all afternoon for nothing. And then 11-year-old Roller begins to curse God. The story. He begins to let rip with every blasphemy he can think of, including the ones his older brother had taught him. And there's more to the story and a big twist at the end won't give that away. But the point is, Roller chased something for his own glory, for his own desire. When it disappeared, when he got confused, he called it a dirty trick and blamed God. Is this how we respond to God? I have. I've been the chief of sinners with this. Do we come into a relationship with him imagining ourselves an unusual child? deserving special treatment, I have. We think we should never be confused at times. I believe this. Maybe this has been you as well. Listen, if Jesus confused the one person in his life who loved him more than anyone, this just might happen to you and me as well. What if the confusion you experienced was something God might be trying to use to draw you close to his heart? Like he was trying to show Mary, Joseph, those in the temple, that who he is and what he came to do might be different and better than what you have been chasing all along. Do we respond to confusion like Roller or to, secondly, like a president? Let's see who this was. Some of you may know the name Elizabeth Elliot. How many of you have heard of Elizabeth Elliot? Yeah, very good. Uh, the wife of Jim Elliot, the famous martyr who gave his life as a missionary in Ecuador. And later in life, Elizabeth Elliot taught at a seminary. And she wrote a number of books. Her only novel was called No Graven Image, which told the fictional story of a female missionary who went into the rainforest, was trying to translate the Bible in the native language of a tribe who lived there. And at the end of the story... Everything fell apart. And the one man who could, really, who could really have enabled her to translate the Bible, she accidentally kills. The whole mission falls apart. The whole thing ends. And she said that when she released it, all kind of people wrote angry letters to her saying God would never let one of his faithful children down like that. God would never let tragedy happen to those who really trusted him. And as a matter of fact, this is true. The president... There it is, of Gordon Conwell Seminary, where she taught bragged he had personally kept her book off the best books of the year list so fewer people would be able to read it. His thinking was the same. If you really love Jesus, nothing bad or confusing will ever happen to you. If you dedicate yourself to him, things can't go wrong. And of course, you can imagine how Elizabeth Elliot responded. She 
was married after all to Jim Elliott, one of five missionaries in Ecuador who had learned the native language to make first contact with this tribe. And the night before they were helicoptered in, they prayed, they sang a hymn about God being their shield, about being their defender. And then they got up the next day, they went in and they were all speared to death. They left behind wives and children, and on the surface, it makes no sense at all. And here's what she wrote about it. She said, I dethrone him if I demand he act in ways that satisfy my ideas. God is God. If he is God, he is worthy of my worship and my service, and I will find no rest except in his will, and that will is infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my wildest notion of what he is up to. She's saying, there's a gap. A gap between me and God. He's confusing to those who love him. Those who are living for him. And even presidents of Christian seminaries have trouble reconciling this at times. You think, how could Jesus treat me like this? I've wondered that a hundred times. And sometimes you find the answer in the moment. Sometimes you don't. Because sometimes you find Jesus doesn't really give you much of an answer at all. When Jesus confuses you, will we respond with blame like Ruller, unbelief like this university president, or will you respond third like Mary? What did Mary do? What does it say Mary did? I love this. It says, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Now, on one hand, Mary didn't get angry, did she? No. On the hand, she didn't refuse to, like, deal with it at all either, like, just push it down. Because both of those responses, by the way, are what our culture tends to try to equip us with as resources to deal with difficulty and confusion. On one hand, on one hand, sort of a secular, liberal approach tells us to vent. Angry. Let it all hang out. Curse God if you want. You're just keeping it real. It's just you being you. you got a right to act however you want. On the other hand, sort of conservative, more religious culture tells us not to throw it up, but to bottle it up, like the seminary president. This approach says, we're just not going to talk about that. You should keep that to yourself. Forget it ever happened. You might hurt someone's faith talking about your confusion, right? Two approaches, two common responses to any confusion Jesus brings in our lives, throwing it up or bottling it up, but Mary does neither. Instead, what does she do? She treasures it up. She treasures it up. She was determined to treasure him, whether she understood or not. She didn't say, I'm not going to relate to you, Jesus, I, because I can't understand everything that you're doing. Nor did she say, I'm just going to pretend like nothing happened and stuff it all down. No, she wrestled with it. She took it on the inside of her. She pondered it. She was saying, I'm going to love you, Jesus, whether I understand or not. Mary never quit following him, even all the way to the cross, where the sword pierced her own soul, it said. There's a good reason, by the way, why Mary deserves to be honored and revered. Mary treasured him because she trusted him. Treasured him because she trusted him. How can we do the same? How can we trust him in the middle of everything? Number three, how can we do that? How can we trust him? Here's how. We have to remember, friends, who Jesus is. Who is he, you ask? This passage shows us who he is and how we can trust him. Remember again, it's the 12th year. It's a critical year because a Jewish boy, of course, would turn 13 and have to know 
who he was. It was the father's job to make sure the son knew who he was and where he was headed in life. And if, come on, Joseph, his earthly father, knew this was his job, how much more would God the father be attuned to this need in his own son's life? What if something happened to Jesus that year? That suddenly enabled him to astonish the professors and amaze the teachers. What if... While Joseph was guiding his son to the temple, God the Father was doing the same thing at the same time. What if while Joseph explained the temple, God the Father was whispering, Son, you are the temple. What if while Joseph explained the sacrifices on the altar, God the Father was whispering to him, Son, you are the ultimate sacrifice. You are are that altar. What if when they sat down to the Passover meal and Joseph explained the lamb, this time God the Father was whispering, you are the ultimate Passover lamb that will take away the sin of the world. What if while Joseph was telling him, you're going to be a carpenter, you're going to use hammer and nails, God the Father was telling him, you're going to use wood and you're going to use nails, but to build something else my kingdom. What if God the Father was going a million miles deeper and mentoring him at that moment to bring him into his messianic consciousness? What if his true father was revealing to him his true business, his true calling? What if Jesus realized that day he had been born to die? That it might give him the confidence he needed to, at the moment he's becoming a man, both confound the religious leaders in the temple and go home and serve those who loved him. Because after this, Jesus goes home, does he not? And loves and serves the very people he's confused. He didn't just disappear from their lives when he confused them. No, he went home and he loved them. Let me tell you, even when you don't understand, Jesus, I want to tell you, he never leaves you. He never leaves you. Even in the middle of your confusion, he's committed to loving you and serving you. You say, yeah, Morgan, but you don't know what I've been through. And it's true. But you don't know what I've been through either. You don't know how God, I feel like God has let me down. He's disappeared in the middle of my storm. You're right. I don't know how you feel God has let you down in your storm. But Jesus does. Jesus says, how? Because years later, think about it, he went to the temple for a final time, a final visit. And after that, on the cross, as he suffered, he himself went searching for a loved one. He went searching for his own father, and he cried out, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And Jesus, when he suffered, He was confused too. He was offended at his own father's plan for his life. He didn't understand everything going on. He looked into eternity for the one he trusted to come through and he found no one in the end. At the end of his life, where was God? Hmm? Jesus was forsaken. Why? Oh, for you and for me. He was getting the treatment we deserve for the way we have treated God and others, taking our place, come on, getting what we deserve so that we receive what he actually deserved, deserved, which is now absolute confidence that though we may feel abandoned, we're actually not. And so that we could know, I want you to hear me, that on the side, uh, the other side of every kind of death, there is always life 
resurrection life for the child of God. Martin Luther, of all people, said, the cry on the cross of Jesus helped him out of difficulties from which no king or ruler could have ever delivered him. Martin Luther, Protestant reformer, had trouble holding on to feeling emotionally positive, had trouble feeling God's presence at times. He felt confused many times, but when he treasured the cross, freedom, I encourage you, let it do the same for you today. Let it do the same for you today. Let me try to apply this real quick in four ways. Real quick in four ways, apply this. How can you treasure him today? How can we treasure him no matter what? First, let me talk to parents real quick. Since so they search for him, you know, it's hard to see and hard to grasp what God's doing in your child's life sometimes. Is that not true? Yes. This passage tells us it's not always clear to us what God is doing in our kids. When Mary searched, though, for her son, it brought her more awareness of who Jesus really was and God's plan for him. You may be frustrated with your child. <laughs> be patient. Be patient. Maybe in the seeking and the searching, you just might grow as well. Number two, as a teenager, a teenager, you have teen, teenagers in the room, maybe college students here, says he was obedient to them. If you're a teen, high school, middle school, college student, you're living at home, this passage tells you that your parents a la DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Parents may not always understand who you are. Gen X throwback, y'all are welcome for what you're going through. But listen, whether they do understand you or whether they don't understand you, what are you going to do with it? What did Jesus do? Even when his parents didn't get him, he went home and he served them and he loved them. He was obedient to them. Will you do the same? Three, as a Christian, let me encourage you, <laughs> go looking for him. Yeah, go looking for him. Joseph and Mary assumed Jesus would be the last place they left him. But he wasn't. When you don't feel his presence, what do you do? Joseph and Mary show us. You go looking for him. The last place you knew where he was. Go looking for him. Is there a choice maybe you've made that's created distance between you and Jesus? Go back to where you last saw him. Go back to where you last knew where he was. Go back to the last place you heard him speak to you. I bet he just might be there waiting. And finally, any non-Christians here today, and Christians too. The truth is that Jesus will just humble you. He'll humble you. Because it takes humility to relate to God. At 12 years old, Jesus was smarter than the leading scholars of his day. Because he was asking them questions. Not to get answers. No. Teachers ask students questions. See? To come to him means you don't know more about your life than he does. About who God is. What salvation ought to look like. He knows you don't. Can we admit this? It's just humbling. But a relationship with the one who reverses things, brings that about in our life. Can you say, Jesus, you know more than I do. Will you come into my life today? Let me take a moment and pray. Lord, I thank you for this. Lord, you're so faithful in every season. We thank you for the rock on which we stand because things around us sometimes shake. But we've never been more glad. We can trust you in every season. Never let us down. You're faithful even when we don't know. Why would you fail now? You won't. Lord, give us grace to trust you, even when we don't understand, because you're just that good. You're that faithful. Lord, I pray for everyone in the middle of a difficult moment and season. Now they would see that even after any kind of lowercase or capital D death, there's life, resurrection life, with the child of God. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, 
please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.